everybody. Welcome to the 69th nice episode of Everyday Eternal. This is Bob Huang here with my two wonderful co-hosts, Julian and, and Eric. Say hi. Hey, guys. How's it going? Hey, everybody. Cool. So uh, we are here. Uh, there's. It's been a while since kind of all of us have recorded together, maybe uh, close to a month almost. And there are so many things that have happened, uh, like Renin 6 was banned, uh, SCG announced they're cutting Legacy, Wizards announced a brand new format, Pioneer. So we're going to kind of go into all of these topics today. Um, but first and foremost, I think uh, we want to talk about Legacy and the fact that Renin 6 is banned. Like, what's your first reaction, Julian? I was incredibly relieved. Like, I, I, I figured it would eventually be banned, but I, wasn't, I was surprised it was banned this early. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think I, I posted uh, somewhere. Let me let me try to find it. But it was like different uh, legacy band cards and how long they were in the format for. And so uh, Treasure Cruise and Mental Misstep were in the format for about four months. So they were the shortest. But then the next shortest was Ren and Six, which was like clearly it was like kind of a broken card, but it was like not you know, not nearly as broken as like Misstep or Treasure Cruise, but like it just warped the format so much. But it seemed more like a Deathrite Shaman card where they could like, you know, not ban it for a year, maybe even two or three years before they like finally pulled the trigger. But I'm so happy that they did it so early. Um, I was also very, very happy, except for the timing because of the GP coming up. Uh, <laughs> I had spent a lot of time testing and uh, I wasn't really expecting it. Like you guys said, I wasn't expecting it this soon. I was definitely expecting the card to be banned in legacy but not necessarily right before the gp um but ignoring the gp coming up i'm very happy because i i expect legacy to be more interactive more fun and that is actually proving to be the, the case pretty mm -hmm. quickly so before red and six was banned you were going to play black red reanimator can you talk a little bit about your thought process of like why you think it was good and why you think it's no longer like the best deck well, actually, the week before I left for Bologna, I spent about five days testing Grixis Delver and had a very, very good win rate and was planning to play that. Oh, wow. <laughs> Plot twist. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Wait, so that's, that's like still playable, right? <laughs> well, yeah, so that's the thing is I spent like a weekend of doing nothing but playing Magic Online. And I mean, I play a lot of Magic Online, but this was like, an intense weekend of magic online for me and found the deck. I was, I had an 88% win rate over the weekend. I played about 50 rounds. Um, and it was great. And then I woke up on Monday and they banned Ren and six. And then I started joining leagues with the same deck and found a much lower win rate, mostly because the metagame was less predictable. I was facing a lot more random decks as well as like previous meta decks like lands and death and taxes and things like that, which were harder for Grixis Delver. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's still playable. It's still doing pretty well. I mean, I played it. I, I am play, I'm in Italy now, and I played a couple of tournaments, and it's been going pretty well for me. But it's uh, yeah. Tell us about that. I know you went to Four Seasons, and I, I think you might have had the probably the best performance out of anybody that weekend. Yeah, yeah, I did. You gotta I mention, right? How, how you're like. You, you sound like super depressed uh, as if your win rate was like 40%. I think your win rate is still like right around 70% or something. <laughs> yeah, so it's still pretty close to that to that 88%, but not, not so much in the leagues. Um, I, I, I think I faced the matchups that I was facing pre-ban, which was a mostly um, 
<clears throat> blue decks and combo decks and things like that. And then I just got a little bit lucky against some of the other decks like lands and miracles and things like that. So yeah, no, the, the tournaments went really well. I came to Italy. I decided to play Crixus Delver over Reanimator, which leading back to the question you originally asked me, I will answer that. But uh, yeah, it went, it went really well. Like I said, um, I kind of got a little bit lucky against some of the harder matchups and then everything else sort of just fell in place how I would have hoped it would against the matchups that I think are good for Grixis Delver. Um, but the reason, basically with Reanimator, I, mean, I just haven't been winning with it recently. I don't, <laughs> I don't really have an explanation for it because not a lot has changed as far as a combo deck like Reanimator goes other than it's harder for me to predict what kind of sideboard hate people will have. And I, I don't know. I just haven't been winning with it as much. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's something true in a newer format, right? Like, people are going to be playing new different sideboard cards. I know a lot of people are playing more Veil of Summers. Um, so, I, I, like, I've been told Storm has a better matchup against Reanimator now because of Veil of Summer. So I th- maybe that changed things on the margin. But Yeah, I'm not so sure about that. Like, I talked to Cyrus, who's also here, and he's a little bit low on um, on Storm's on Storm's metagame right now too, for, for similar reasons. It's just it's it's not so much that like Veil of Summer is in the Storm deck or Veil of Summer is in some other decks. Like I don't even think Veil of Summer is that particularly good against Reanimator. For Reanimator, it's more that I can't I can't guess based on what I saw game one, which could be very little. Um, <laughs> or guess. nothing, literally nothing sometimes. Right. It could be nothing, but it could also be very little. And when it was very little, I, I had a good chance of guessing what kind of sideboard hate my opponents would have. But now, off of very little knowledge, ignoring the nothing knowledge, like that's that, that hasn't really changed that much. But when it's very little, um, it's it, it, I could guess, you know, if I saw a tropical island, there was a very good chance that they were on Rug Delver. Now, if I see a tropical island... It doesn't. It almost means nothing to me, you know. So, and even if they are on Rug Delver, there's no telling what their sideboards look like because there isn't like a a stock Rug Delver list. So, not only is it hard to guess what deck they're on, it's hard to guess what kind of sideboard they are going to have. I never realized how, how big of an issue like guessing correctly with regards to sideboard card is for Black Red Reanimator because when you talk about it, it sounds like it's one of the biggest things in, in sideboarding. Yeah, because you just lose to sideboard cards. So if you can't guess what kind of sideboard cards they're going to have. So like, let's say I guess that they're on Leyline and then they have Cage. I have a bunch of answers to Leyline on my sideboard, in my deck, and I have no answers to Cage and I just lose. Similarly, uh, if I guess they're not on Cage, they're on Surgical because they're a blue deck or whatever, and then I have no answers to Cage, so I just play Cage, I lose, so I have to concede. Hmm. But then there's still game three, right? But yeah, it sucks when you, when you basically throw away game two just to get the extra information. Right, and then game three, it's like, well, cage and surgical come together, and I—I've just, just been having a really hard time. <laughs> so, did you even bring Reanimator to Bologna, or are you are you just um, committed on what you're playing now? What the fuck was that? <laughs> it was a whale. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounded like somebody was playing the trumpet or something in the background. That was—I'm uh, in an, in the Airbnb right now, and somebody must have uh, moved a chair. But anyway, yeah, no, I brought I brought I brought a bunch of decks. I brought all my I brought. All, almost all of my cards, because everything got shook up at the last minute, so I brought everything. So I've, I've been testing online, but I I think, I don't know, I've mostly been testing Delver. It seems the strongest to me right now, at least in my experience. So, so you, you brought up a really interesting point, which was that 
Uh, you see, sometimes you see tropical island and you have like no idea what you could be facing. I think that's like a super interesting point I want to touch on is like what the legacy metagame looks like now. So we've had a couple of events already. There was the Four Seasons main event, there was the MKM, and there was the Magic Online Challenge. And the results, as you might expect for week one, were extremely diverse. But I, the, the thing that stood out to me the most was, you know, how much of a power boost green got. So like Veil of Summer was printed, Oka was printed. Um, there are some other cards people are trying out, like Once Upon a Time. And there's actually like really compelling reasons to play green in your deck now. Uh, whereas before that was like never really the case. It was just like Tarmogoyf was not even that good. And now there's so many good green cards. So there's there's Rug Delver, there's Soltai Delver, there's Soltai Midrange, um, there's like Bant Miracles, Four Color Miracles. Uh, Julian just played against an Abomination on stream, which was like Five Color Arcanist with Supreme Verdict and the Snow Strix. It's just like it's like the Wild West, but a lot of these decks uh, feature green, which I think is super interesting. Yeah, it's green the new blue. Is like, green I the new? I don't. I don't want to say it's the new blue, but it, it might be the new red because like every good legacy deck was like blue red X. Now it's like, well, you can be blue red X or blue green X. So it's actually I don't know. Kind of, I'm feeling more like Julian's right that green might be the new blue because mostly because of Oko. I think Oko is the new Jace, which kind of makes green the new blue. <laughs> well, Oko is also still blue, but I, I definitely take your point that Oko is the new Jace in just in the fact that it's like it's the best like carded. I don't even know if it's the best card advantage engine. It's the best board control card that you know possibly has ever been printed, and the fact that it costs one mana less than Jace just makes it that much more powerful. Yeah, I was asking people on Twitter the the other week um, whether Jace is still a tier one planeswalker in Legacy, and I'm actually not sure. Like. Yeah, you would play Chase in these like four or five color abominations. Uh, and no offense to those decks, <laughs> but uh, it's it's re it really doesn't feel like Chase is, is a centerpiece of the deck anymore. It's just like your high end payoff and and not like something you you construct your entire game around resolving and and protecting. Yeah, Chase decks have have changed. I I do want to get into like. Yeah, this, this other topic, which I think is pretty interesting. I saw a tweet, I think it was by Chris Pukula, which he was basically saying, like, uh, you know, if permanents are the best thing to be doing in Magic, then, like, it just it's probably not good for the game. And then Ari Lax had the really insightful response that it's like, if permanents are the best thing to be doing, then what matters is playing them first, i.e. like being on the play or having acceleration. But then if, if spells are the best, then the best thing is like card advantage. And then if mana is the best, then it's just like um, whoever can have like the fast mana or play the most spells. So the, the, to me, like those are like the design issues of having cards being overpowered, having anything being overpowered causes is its own set of issues. So Wizards skewed in the past before of being like, you know, the spells were way too good, so then Factor Fiction was the best card because you just wanted more spells than everybody. Um, and now they've gone in the other direction where permanents are too good and everything's just a, a snowball race. So I thought that was super perce uh, perceptive of Ari. And it could be interesting to see if like, you know, hopefully R&D learned some design mistake lessons um, which we should also talk about their article on play design that they put out after they had to ban all those cards in standard. What did you guys think? Yeah, I I like that they acknowledged all the problems that happened in this year following the the change in design philosophy, which at least gives you like you know hope and at least it, it helps me deal with some frustration over cards they they printed. Um, 
I don't know whether that we're going to see a change in that philosophy very soon. Usually, like they plan sets ahead, something like one or two years around that. But I, I, I would hope they would make some changes to the upcoming sets and not have like an Oko slip through. To their credit, like everybody missed Oko. Like at least we missed Oko, and I think a lot of other people missed Oko. And it's we've talked about the cards and why it's good at length on the podcast, but it's really weird because you don't really feel like this card would do much against you but it's 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 just so hard to kill when i played against it on the weekend i played against thomas Mart in at card market prague and and he plays and it goes to six and i'm like okay i can attack it but then like or i can play my knight and then he pluses it and my knight is like a three three elk and i spent my entire turn doing nothing it's ha oh. <sighs> but yeah that that's with regards to play design, I think they hopefully learned their lesson that pushing power level just because people might like that is probably for the worse in, in the long run. We, I hope we won't get back to a set that has like only uninteresting, uninspired cards. I think what makes cards cool is that they are interesting and not that they are necessarily powerful. Like powerful helps, especially if you want to custom legacy. But I feel some of the stuff has just been too pushed lately, especially this year. And I'm not even sure, like, you know how everybody, like, I feel like the big talk on social media right now is Veil of Summer and how everybody who could play Veil of Summer should play all the Veil of Summers they can, uh, to the point where, where people even play the main deck right now. Uh, I think that, like, the Bond Show and Tell deck is, is one of those decks that, that can actually utilize them pretty well. So I'm not saying, like, ban Veil of Summer because I don't really feel like it's really that disruptive but it could be wrong like i, I gotta say I, I haven't really been playing a lot of decks that really suffer any disadvantage from vile of summer so i haven't really been on the receiving end of the card yet yeah i also haven't i haven't felt like veil of summers all that insane like i see a lot of people who play standard saying like oh my god like this or pioneer they i think they banned it right um saying this card needs to go it makes it so you can't really do anything in legacy it's very powerful. It's very good against Storm. It's good in Storm, but I don't think it, it makes it so that people don't want to play the, the format uh, like some of the other formats. But Oko, Oko, I think... I don't think that this card is the same problem or mistake as things like Ren and Six, where I think like they actually just made a mistake with Ren and Six. I think literally nobody could have guessed that, a, that the card Oko would have been as powerful as it is with the abilities that it has on it. I don't think anybody reading it or anybody testing it, maybe testing it, I don't know. But it, it, I think it, it's blown everybody um, out of the water for how, how, how much more powerful it is than what people expected. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a card that all the stuff that it does isn't really overpowered, but the numbers on it are, are like so wrong and you don't really get to acknowledge it until you really play against it and with it but yeah so yeah what we've, we're seeing right now in legacy is like bob mentioned earlier on i think or eric you mentioned that too how how green is really making its way in in the place that red used to occupy and like all these mid-range control decks like we, we had stuff like grixis or even blue white control decks like miracles they're all about green now and that's why why we see decks like Bond Miracles. I think Anorak has been playing that lately. Or, for example, Tomasz Flacek at, at MKM Prague. He made top four, or was it top eight? With, um, well, it's four color. I can't even call it Miracles, right? It's more like four color mentor. And they are still splashing red for uh, Pyroblast because it's 
apparently so free right now. It makes you wonder, like, how are we even supposed to punish these decks when many of these decks are even running their own versions of well, Back to Basics or Blood Moon in the sideboard? It's To me, that's actually quite frustrating. I, I ended up cutting, for example, Choke from, from Green Maverick, which I'm going to play at the cheapy, because I felt like with Astrolabe around, like, they don't even care all that much about Choke, except for those random blowout scenarios where you get them, but they can even, like, tap their mountain and still cast Ponder. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I think... Um I mean, I think on my watch list, I, I wouldn't really put Veil of Summer on there, but I think Arkham's Astrolabe has a lot of problems, even though the card isn't really that powerful. But the fact that it just lets you do whatever you want with mana bases, is, it just doesn't sit well with me. And I know you agree with me there, too, too Julian. Um, but I, actually, I, I, I do think that Oko is very, very good in Legacy, but we definitely need to give it some time because it's not like Red and Six, where it was just like, uh, if you even if you killed abrupticate it, they were up a land. If you abrupticate Oko, you're like down a food, which is totally fine. And then the other thing too is Red Blast is like a reasonable card in Legacy. So I think it's a card that people can start playing like you know upwards three or four copies. So I think there's a chance that Oko is just like you know maybe the best Walker in Legacy, but like similar to Jace in that like it'll be fine to have it around. Or it might be more like Ren and Six where it's like, uh, we really don't want this because it's in all the Delver decks and all the Jace decks. So we'll see where we end up on that. Um, but I also did uh, want to hear more about your testing for Bologna, Julian. You're going to play Maverick? Yes, very much. Um, I, I was considering Elves, I was considering Maverick, and I also was considering the Grixis Diver list that Eric shipped me, which worked really well for me. But yeah, I, I feel really good about Maverick. Uh, now that Ren 6 is gone, there's still one pro... Like, I feel like there's really only one big problem left in the format for the deck, and that's Plague Engineer. And you can somewhat hatch against it. I used to play a 3-1 split on Mother of Runes and Giver of Runes. Uh, I think for the GP, I'm going to go for something like 2-2. And I might even play two Birds of Paradise and cut like a Noble Harak from it, because if you... If you don't lose too much to the Plague Engineer, it's not that bad for you. And I feel like you've got pretty good game against all the mid-range decks. Like, for most of its existence, I think Merrick was one of the premier mid-range decks that dominated all the other mid-range decks. It's not that like that anymore. I think it's still one of the, the best mid-range decks around. And on top of that, it's quite decent against Storm. I think Cyrus even mentioned how, how he's not even sure if... if uh, Maverick is not even favored against Storm. Probably not. It's more like even, but it's it's not a matchup that I really fear. And unlike Elves, I also don't mind playing against anything with Sneak and Show because you also get ways around that with like your Hate Bears or even like Banishing Light, which I'm playing like one or two copies on the sideboard of and stuff like if you play Night of Autumn. So there's really not that much stuff that you care about. And on top of that, you are pretty good, I feel, against most Delver decks. So that's that's where I want to be. I will probably play something like Two Path to Exile because uh, Dreadhought Arcanist is a card that I really fear. It's, like you guys mentioned earlier on, one of those scenarios where games can snowball out of control super quickly. That's why I really want to take that card out. That's something I'm hard targeting. And the rest, I feel like you're somewhat weak to something like Hogak or even Dredge. And... That's why I'm playing five copies of Dredge Hate in the sideboard. I'm actually playing two copies of Thomas Crypt because I feel that card is so much better than Surge Extraction against, but actually both of those decks, but especially Hogak. And yeah, I'm. This is this is. I, I didn't expect to feel this good about Maverick. Um, I actually only played three and three in Prague before I dropped, but that's that didn't really feel like I I hadn't like made um well a deck construction error or 
or something like that, it would discourage me from playing the deck. Um, I also won my, my the Grand Trial, which gave me two buys, so that worked pretty well. So yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to playing Maverick and telling you guys next week how I went like 06 drop. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, are you splashing any colors? Uh, no, I, I considered it, but uh, the only thing you would really splash is black for discard, and I don't really feel like I want that right now. Well, it would be discard, okay. plague engineer, possibly abrupt decay, but that would be a more more of a less of a splash and more of a main color then. Yeah, abrupt decay is the one thing that that I'm missing because when I played against Oko, it was very loco. It's didn't really enjoy that too much. Something I noticed is that Scavenging Ooze is actually not that bad against Loco, uh, Oko because it still keeps its counter, so it's actually quite big. That's fair. I don't know. It, to me, it seems like... Well, you, you literally posed the scenario where it was like you went Knight and they went Oko, or, or they went Oko first, and then you're like, okay, well, this Knight is useless. So to me, I, I think you need to, like... I think Oko is, like, the new Renin 6. It's not as played as Renin 6 yet, but, you know, maybe in the next... Uh, couple of months it will be and maybe by Bologna like some of the best players will have figured out that Oko is what you want to be doing so if I were you I would I would come up with a plan for Oko for sure yeah something I did that I didn't do in Prague because I felt like it doesn't really match up well with the play patterns of Maverick which often taps out and doesn't really have good untap effects like Alphas um, in Prague I wasn't playing Vale of Summer and now I am I basically have like two slots in the sideboard maybe three that are somewhat dedicated to beating these mid-range control decks. Um, most of them play Oko. It used to be Choke. Like I, I would sometimes often play just like play three Choke. And that card has been incredibly underwhelming for me. And that's why I'm cutting Choke. And I'm that that's basically the only card I'm not so sure about right now. Whether I wanna play Vale of Summer because it's it's still quite cool if if you have extra mana and you play I don't know Stoneforge Mystic and they try to Oko it. And then you you play Veil of Summer, and then they have to answer the Veil of Summer as well. And if they do that, you still have a three three at least. So that there's good scenarios that involve Veil of Summer. Overall, it's not that great of a card, but on top of that, it also doubles as combo hate, which isn't that easy because you can't really keep the mana up all the time. But I mean, that's why I'm also playing two to three, probably three copies of Deafening Silence, so I can have like interaction turn one. Oh, that uh, that card's always kind of stood out to me. I, I don't think it's seen that much play, but like it seems like a no-brainer in like decks like Maverick and Death and Taxes. Has it been good? Uh, actually, the sound cut cut off. I actually didn't hear the card. <laughs> Deafening silence. Yeah, the card has been incredibly good. Like. I would say that's the card I underestimated the most. I, I remember when we talked about it in the preview episode of the on, on the spoiler episode. I felt like yeah, it's playable. It's just like so niche. And I gotta say, after playing with it, and I think that's like to me a prime example of okay, actually go ahead and play with the card, look at it, but also play with it to to form your opinion. That card has been super super good for me, like incredibly good. It has so many more applications than I figured it would. For example, you play against against Infect. And suddenly you can actually wait for their turn. And if they want to play like a pump spell, you can sort the plowshares and response and there's nothing they can do. Or you play, I mean, there's the obvious scenario against omniscience where they have to pass the turn and that's good for you. Uh, but there's also stuff like that. I don't know, they, they put Grizzlebred into play and and you just, I don't know, you, they also have to pass the turn because there, there's nothing they can do and you can Caracas it. And yeah, they can draw the cards, but sometimes you can just like out-temper them. And there's a lot of applications for the card that I wasn't aware of on top of being good against Storm, and that's why I really like the card, um, because it also gives you turn one interaction, which Maverick and Death in Texas used to lack. But you wouldn't bring it in against like a fair blue deck, would you? Uh, no. I mean, the uh, actually, it doesn't even stop Snapcaster match, right? It's just non-creature or something. Right. Yeah. Okay, I, so I, it's I still for combo, like but it's been very good against combo. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very. I really liked it a lot. Cool. So looking at our kind of show topics, um, I don't know. Is there is there more you guys want to say? Like maybe we should do GP Bologna like predictions for what you guys think is going to top eight. Yeah, I think it would be interesting to to hear what you guys think. Um, it would be good decks to play right now, or e like even good strategic approaches. That that that's sometimes like, should I splash Red Blast for? Is it worth it? And I guess right now it is. Uh, is is there any way that you guys see that somebody could actually go ahead and try to punish the mana bases of those greedy decks? I mean, the obvious answer to to basically answer my own question here is like something like Moonstompy. But like most Moonstopy players, I know that they're not that happy about their deck because they feel like, oh, it's actually not that great against Death and Texas. And when the opponent ha like goes first and they go turn one Astrolabe, it's also not that great. And that even like involves get them getting a moon in the first place, which doesn't always happen. It's also anything a bad else deck. You guys see? <laughs> it's also a bad deck. Yeah. No, I, I don't know. I, 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 I've been playing Stifle, and it's, it's not a foolproof way to... To punish mana bases, but it is one way to punish all mana bases because there aren't any decks that don't play fetch lands, and so if you well can... chalice decks, but for the most part, yeah, right, death yes, decks I mean, as blue, well. Blue decks. We're talking about punishing mana bases of the blue decks. Though. Okay, sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So it works against all of the blue decks, and it works against Maverick, and it works against Depth. So it it does punish most mana bases. Uh, it can be a little bit tricky to get it to do that, uh, and it doesn't always work. But for me, it, it seems to be working pretty well. And uh, the other the other thing I, I've noticed about like Astrolabe decks is that they they often against a wasteland deck they will often fetch up potentially very awkward mana bases because they have Astrolabe. So if you can then answer their Astrolabe, it really sets them back a lot. So there are certain cards that are worthwhile to do that with and certain cards that are not. Like I've seen people using a Braid, which I think is not worth a card against Astrolabe because, I mean, it's two mana and they, they've drawn a card off of it. But I think like Abrupt Decay potentially is... I mean, not Abrupt Decay, sorry. Cooligan's uh, Command because it has a second mode and also potentially null rod if you see things like uh, engineered explosive. So if there's like a secondary use for it for the null rod, then I think null rod is an otherwise Cooligan's command. Getting a card off of it as well um, can can mean that if you let them kind of set up their mana base in a really awkward way because they have, they have the astrolabe, then you can kind of punish them in that way. Yeah, I noticed some green decks are playing Collector Oof too. Yeah, yeah, Collector Oof is a card. I, I always wonder whether I should bring it in against these these snow decks, and I don't um, because, like Eric mentioned, you usually want there to be another thing, and maybe that's wrong. Maybe I should bring it in specifically against the, those four and five. Well, I think if you're playing tax. elves, if you're playing elves, it doesn't make sense because you don't really tax their mana. But if you're playing Delver, maybe it makes more sense, like Rug Delver against Snow. Yeah, well, Oof attacks, so I think that's your second thing. The fact that it can attack for two, I think that is your second thing. So if you have a second thing, I think it's worth attacking the Astrolabe. But if it's like a Braid, I don't think is because there is no actual second thing. You're still just... So, you guys think it would make sense for me to bring like my one of Oof in, uh, in Maverick? Because I... I wonder, like, I could actually see that because it also pressures Oko, right? And if they plus it, then you, you can still pressure Oko, which is nice. Um, but something I'm... 
Okay, so maybe you guys can help me. And maybe all the other ones listening who are having similar problems. When I'm playing against these four-color snow decks, especially when they're bug-based, um, for example, the, the five-color snow deck that, that Thomas Schmar is playing is like bug-based and then splashes white for like two sorts of plowshares and Teferi and, and red for uh, pyroblasts. I always wonder, should I either like side out more humans or should I side out my sorts of plowshares? Because... Traditionally, like these decks play, what are they playing? They play like Snapcaster Mage and and Bayful Strix, and you feel like, oh my god, my sorts of plowshares, they are getting no value at all. Uh, but at the same time, you kind of want removal for the Plague Engineer. And I guess that's also where like a potential Black Splash comes in for a Prop Decay, because that also takes care of Oko. So I guess that's an option. But if you're playing Green White, um, I, I used to keep my sorts of plowshares at least like three copies. But in the matches I played, they felt so bad that now I think it's probably worth worth it changing my deck construction to playing more while Birds of Paradise and uh, Giver of Ruins. And so I can actually side out uh, at least three copies of my Salt Supplashares just because they are so bad in the matchup. Like, the only scenario where I can imagine that outside of hitting Engineer, which probably even killed a, a couple of your creatures already, is where you remove an Elk from the other side and, and attack a Planeswalker. But that, that's so rare and doesn't really work that well. So, yeah. Maybe I should just have more beaters that are not humans. Yeah, or you should try the Black Splash. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what I'm going to do tonight. Like, we're actually recording this um, on the night before I leave for Bologna, so if you're listening to this, I'm probably on the train already. I don't really know Maverick well enough to really say, but I think I think as far as spells go, the best way to, to fight back against um, Planeswalkers is, is Red Blast or Pyroblast or whatever. I think that's your cleanest and best answer because it answers them on the stack as well as in play. And, like... Uh, I think Bob mentioned if if they get a food token, like that's not that big of a deal. It's really like the third third activation, or like when they when they turn one of your creatures into elk, and then they turn one of their artifacts into they, into an elk. Like the game's basically over, so it's like two activations. But if they just make a a food token, and then they either turn their food token into a three three, or turn one of your three things into three three, that's not the end of the world. So you can you have a couple turns to to blast, and it's like a one mana spell. So I think blasts are the best answer to to Oko, and that's like the main planeswalker in the format at this point. Okay, so yeah, let's go to I guess our predictions for the GP. Um, I'll start. I think Delver is going to be good. It's it's super interesting because it's unclear to me what the best Delver deck is. I know at NKM Prague, Blue Red Delver was the most played, and there was one in the top eight. But um, I like Blue Red Delver if uh, mana bases are going to be taxed, and like Delver is really good. And, and that, if that's true, I think Blue Red usually has the edge because now it has like Brazen Borrower to like answer Gourmet Angler and Tarmogoyf. So it has just the best mana base. So if Delver is going to be big, I like Blue Red Delver. <laughs> Um, if the other combo decks are going to be bigger, then I might some, like something more like Bug Delver or Grixis Delver, or potentially even Rug Delver because that can play Oko. So I think like all four of those Delver decks are good, and I'm really curious to see which one rises to the top. So I think I'll probably say maybe two or three Delver in the top eight. I'll go with three, and then maybe like two like Oko mid range decks. And then um, maybe a Chalice deck, and I'll pick the Urza, Crazy Urza Chalice deck. And then probably two combo decks, maybe a Depths deck, which I think is still really good, and then Sneak and Show. So that's my pick. Yeah, I feel like, especially Depths, people don't really talk about it all that much anymore, right? But uh, the deck is still really, really good, and it rewards, well, I guess, 
divide a skill. I, I was trying to come up with something that doesn't sound as pretentious as "oh, this is like skill." It, it rewards yeah, experience, experience, and, and skill. I guess that that sounds much better. <laughs> yeah, I guess experience breeds skill or, or something like that. But yeah, I I noticed myself when I was like playing the deck on Magic Online for a while. Man, that. I was lacking experience in so many situations to try to figure out how to navigate my way through it. And I think people who are really, really good with the deck, they will certainly like crush a lot of weak opposition. And that's probably going to happen to a lot of people at the GP. Uh, with regards to the Deva decks, I totally agree. It's going to be interesting how things eventually are going to work out. I think, Eric, you mentioned how, for example, Grixis Deva, especially the one you've been posting lately, is really, really good in those mirror matches. And... To me, like I've said that before, I think maybe Grixis Deva is the quote-unquote best deck in the format right now, just because it's so incredibly versatile. And also, like I always appreciate it very much when a deck, especially in a big event where you're playing a ton of rounds, is is applying a lot of pressure because that way you get to capitalize on your opponent struggling or, or like making easy mistakes. And yeah, that's why I was considering playing Grixis Deva as well. And yeah, that's something I'm seeing. I also think that uh, Show and Tell, especially Bant or even Blue Green, but probably Bant Show and Tell, will probably do well. Um, maybe not with regards to how many people are playing it, because it's like a very special thing that only came up recently. But uh, for example, Johannes Gupro top aided the, the GP at uh, GP. <laughs> he wishes uh, the uh, MKM Prague. Uh, with that and from what i had been watching the deck looked really really solid and it's it's just kind of cool right these sneak and show decks they didn't really struggle all that much with having their stuff countered they often had issues with like our oh, hymns and, and discard spell and how annoying those were and now they have well i think he had like three whale of summers or something or did he have them in the sideboard oh okay so only had three in the sideboard so the one i played against in china had like three in the main and yeah, that's that's a pretty good deck that I can see rising to the top as well. And honestly, just because of numbers, at least is Death in Texas. There's probably gonna be Death in Texas, like a copy or something in the top eight, because it's such a popular deck and people enjoy it so much. Actually, let me put up pull up the numbers. Yeah, it was the most it was the second most played deck at at Prague at 10%, Blue Red Deva at 11%, Storm was the third most played deck. It was like something like 248 players, not 250, because that would have unlocked the higher price payout. Huh, too bad. So so bad that that keeps happening at almost every event, but yeah. <laughs> um, looking at the rest, I think Hogak is really good. Um, so I'm, I'm talking more about like which decks I think are really good. Uh, there's probably not too many people playing Hogak, so I'm not sure if it's going to top eight or something obviously that's like always just like a small thing right the difference between something like 30th and top eight is sometimes just a match win but yeah i think kogak is is really good and that's gonna do well one last deck that i've been wondering about actually two the first one is miracles but thus far it looks like this traditional blue white miracles has been replaced with like greed miracles sometimes even dropping terminus um but the other deck I'm wondering about is Eldrazi. Like straight up in your face, Eldrazi Stompy. Not not post Eldrazi. Straight up, turn one. Uh, what's it called? The dude, the copies. Turn two, thought not here. Turn three, smasher you. And while you're dawdling around with your Okus and stuff, and I don't know, I I could see that being something that could be really good because it's just like so. I don't care about your stuff. Come at me, and it can quickly crumble. I guess if you if you've got good answers to it, but. I don't know, people are getting really cute and the deck is also playing Wastelands and, and putting a lot, a lot of pressure up. So maybe something like that or even uh, Eldrazi in Texas, which 
I noticed that people playing those snow decks, they fear Thalia more than anything. So that's why I also upped Thalia to, to a four. In my Maverick deck, I usually play three. They, I think I've reserved almost no Thalia against them because that's the only thing they ever force. So something like that could also be good. Yeah, and so I, I agree with a lot of what you guys are saying. I think um, that Delver continues to probably be the best strategy in the format. And I, and I think... For Delver strategies, I think that the ones that play Bolt are the ones that are doing it correctly, and I expect to see uh, probably a minimum of two Delver decks in the top eight that play Bolt. I think that the bug ones and the four-color ones that aren't playing, uh, or I guess the four-color ones would be playing Bolt, but anyway, I think the bug ones are, are they're, they're more controlly decks that happen to be playing Delver, and I think they're not the best Delver strategy. So I expect uh, either UR Delver or Grixis Delver to see some number in the top eight above one. I expect probably two or three. And then I actually think second behind that for best decks in the format are probably Astrolabe decks, um, blue-white based Astrolabe decks, either based Terminus Miracles or Mentor based with no Terminus and like one one uh, Supreme Verdict, I think are probably the, the second second best and i don't think there's that many good combo decks in the format and i don't expect to see that many in the top eight and if we do see any i think it'll either be hogak or dredge and if it's hogak i think they just uh happen to hit the right matchups all day and dredge it has to be like one of the best dredge players out there probably playing it and uh, just having a good day so i think for the rest of the format i think like julian said i think death and taxes is actually pretty well positioned but death and taxes has the problem of being a non-blue non-cantrip deck so we'll see i would i wouldn't be surprised if you see one copy of that in the top eight yeah it usually makes up for it in numbers right it's like i mentioned it's always one of the most played decks so somebody's gonna get there right um it's something that you mentioned to us like in our chat earlier on i think was that it's interesting how all the well, quote unquote specialists are not playing their special deck anymore like you, you know how you're known for black red diver or i'm playing elves or even I think Cyrus was very, very much considering not playing Storm. And I think he, he will probably do so now, but he was like very close to playing Death in Texas, right? And he might have actually done that had he not like missed all those win and ends at the four season tournament. Um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it sounded like he was really expecting himself to play Death in Texas. And then he lost three win and ends. And now he's saying he's probably going to play Storm. Uh, I saw him doing some crazy stuff with his sideboard for testing. And uh, I, I mean, I think Cyrus is probably the best Storm player that, out there, at least at the tournament. And uh, I think it's not a bad choice for him, but he definitely doesn't think it's a, it's as well positioned as it's been as, uh, uh, in the Ren and Six meta. Yeah, you know how people talk about the, the, the Cyrus Storm cycle. I don't know if he likes it or doesn't like it, but like how he always like, oh, Storm is dead, then he changes everything. And eventually he arrives back at the most stock list and then he crushes a tournament. I wonder if that's going to happen here or whether he's going to have something like, I don't know, people played Phyrexian Obliterator against me the other day out of Storm <laughs> and it certainly obliterated me like crazy. That, that was that was something I didn't expect. And I've seen some crazy crazy things with my reanimator opponents too. I'm like, I don't know if that's where I would go. I think I'd probably just play a different deck. But uh, as far as the Cyrus Storm cycle goes, I, I saw Cyrus at the Four Seasons. And at the end of the day, I saw him buying a playset of Young Pyromancers and sleeping them up. <laughs> and then telling me that he thinks Young Pyromancer and for... Empty the Warrens might be where Storm needs to be. For Empty the Warrens? What? Is, is this is this Badger now? 
I don't know. Hey, I, I mean, Veil of Summer is a thing, and it's like a it's a problematic card for Storm and uh, Empty the Warrens doesn't care about Veil of Summer. Oh, actually, that that's something because I I, I want to try to give people who are listening to this on on their way to the tournament. Uh, some some things that we noticed in the meta game that not everybody might be aware of, and I think yeah, Storm actually relies even more than it used to on on empty the barns. So I've been burned by that before when I started out while Stoneforge and Betascar because I felt like oh this is not very good against Storm, and then suddenly there's like eight goblins facing me down there, like Gadoktik and Mother of Runes, which actually might do it, but <laughs> but yeah, you you get the idea, right? So I'm actually. I'm siding out most of my equipment, but I'm keeping Stonefortress and Betterskull just because of that. Um, because one of the ways they they try to get around my hate bears uh, lately has also been that they just try to make a ton of goblins on the first or second turn. And yeah, that's definitely something to be aware of. So if you're constructing your sideboard and you're like on the fence about a couple of cards, if those cards can deal with goblins, that's probably more value than it used to be, especially if you're playing Weight of Summer and your opponent's going to try to play around that. So definitely be aware of that. Are there any other trends that you guys have picked up on? For example, like, uh, like I mentioned before, I feel like Choke is really not very good as a sideboard card. Or, or like Eric mentioned, uh, if you if you can have something in the sideboard that deals with the uh, Astrolabe in a way that's profitable for you, for example, as in either being a creature or having some other applications. Is there anything else that you, you see, feel right now that you really want to do with your deck or your sideboard in, with regards to flex slots? Yeah, I can't really think of any other ones. I mean, I, we talked about Red Blast being good, so I would show up. If I were playing Dolliver, I'd play three. If I were playing Jace deck, I'd maybe play four. Um, so I'm pretty high on that. But uh, I've been playing Depths. Uh, I added Once Upon a Time. I'm still not 100% convinced it's like necessarily that much better than Sylvan Scrying. It's, like, it's more powerful than Scrying, but then sometimes you can draw it later in the game and then it doesn't find you what you want and that feels bad. So I'm not sure about the correct way to build Depths, but I think Depths is very good again because Dark Confidant is very good again. Um, you don't really want it that much against the Delver decks that pressure your life total, but against every other deck, Dark Confidant is just like absurdly good. So I, I'm very in on playing Depths, so I would definitely play that if I went to the GP. Uh, that, however, I, I also will say that like I have been losing more to the green decks because the green decks sometimes they still play crop rotation Caracas and sometimes they play like Oko and Gilded Goose and Ice Fang Coatl. and sometimes if you just like set up a blocker and then plus an Oko on my Merit Lodge then it's just like I can't really win so um, I, I think it's definitely possible that um, Depths is like not the way to go uh, but I'm still like beating all the other decks however if like the green Oko decks get bigger then i might have to you know switch plans or move to a different deck yeah yeah good point something that i just um thought of as well um i guess that goes back to to uh what's it called oof collector oof uh if your deck could play nairod i think nairod is also pretty good right now because it's got that extra value against storm it also used to be pretty good against storm right but now a lot of people i saw martin wonasek and a lot of other storm players at cheap uh, at MKM Prague, they were all playing Wishcloud Talisman, like sometimes as a two or three of. And shutting that one off on top of shutting off all the artifact mana is probably like a really good thing. I know that Charles mentioned on, on the cast the, the other month that he almost always plays like a single copy of Minerot in, in his decks that can support it because it's just like such high value and now the value got even higher. So yeah, that, that's it's, a card that I got in mind. It's really good against death and taxes too. And that's like a deck again. Yeah. So I mean, I think like, yeah. I think Norod's better than it was uh, when Jarvis was on. Jarvis was mostly, I think, giving it a nod as as a 
is a silver bullet against uh, uh, Storm back then, but now I think it's even better, as Bob was just saying. It's like, if you're playing Delver, it's one of your must-draw things against Death and Taxes, and it's also very good against what I think is probably the best Chalice deck in the format right now, which somebody else mentioned, I think Bob, uh, which is the Urza Chalice decks, the Urza, the decks that play... Um, uh, Echo of Eons and, and LED, it's, it, it, it's very good against those decks as well. Yeah, let me let me talk about that deck for for just a second here. That deck is like another crazy abomination. We have the crazy five-color abominations, but we also have this crazy Chalice deck that is literally 2019 magic cards and design errors plus like fast mana. So it's like two fundamental design mistakes lumped together. And I've played against this deck, and it is scary because basically they play four Narset, four Karn, four Urza, um, LEDs, and like it's just so easy for them to go like Narset into like Echo Vion's LED like Time Twister you and then you discard your hand. It just like eventually they assemble that if you let them uh, keep playing Magic. And that deck is just extremely powerful. The only reason I don't think it's like broken is that it's it's pretty vulnerable to like hate pieces like Null Rod. It's not good against Chalice on zero. And like it's even a little bit vulnerable to Red Blast. So I don't think it's necessarily like going to dominate the format but i think it's very very powerful that's that deck is really scary like the other day i think they even played turn one narset against me and then they went led echo of eons and the game ended <laughs> it's if, if you're not like having any way to interact with that and uh, like the more traditional ways outside of force of will they don't even do all that much like surgical you can't really hit the echo of eons if they discard it to led so that's scary. I think Caleb Whitefaces actually did a lot of work on it and was consider considering it for the GP. Uh, I was wondering, does the deck actually play Forceful? It doesn't even have enough blue cards it does to not. support Forceful? Oh, okay. No, so at least that, that's... Okay, cool. Um, I was seeing the deck on the weekend as well, and it was a different version. It was played by actually very famous European legacy player, Shiroshi Tuma. And he played it in a in a top tough shell so it was much more grindy it played emery lurker of the lock and tried to assemble by ursa and the top death foundry thing for uh infinite top death and and life gain and that deck also looked really really good but i think the explosiveness of, of the other version is just like what would draw me towards that but yeah I, emery is a card i've been excited about for a long time i think the the explosive one also does play emery right yeah they both play emery yeah, I don't know. I think that deck is, has a lot of potential. Maybe they're still trying to figure out the best way to build it, and um, maybe someone will show up with a good build in Bologna. So we'll yeah, see. Yeah, I think I think uh, experience with the deck and stuff too, because I've played against it a lot, and I feel like a lot of people are just really excited to discard their hand and cast Echoviance, and that makes it very very easy to beat. And when people play it slightly different differently, where they don't just go all in all the time on echo uh it's much easier it's much harder it's much harder to play against when they're not doing that so i think um that the deck definitely has a lot of potential in the format and i and like i said i think it might be the best chalice deck um but i i think that the the whole led echo thing has a pretty strong vulnerability against forcible if, if you don't have like a lot of experience playing the deck and you just go all in all the time Right. Kalem was mentioning that he was thinking about playing some defense grids uh, just because he felt like he needed a little bit more against Force of Will, so that kind of makes sense to me, too. Yeah, I've, I've been seeing defense grids as well. Uh, I guess that's another deck where I'm really happy about Deafening Silence, if I'm on the play, at least. Sure. Yeah, because then Echo is not so scary. Like, you don't really care if they Echo if they have to pass the turn. <laughs> <laughs> 
Their, their deck is kind of filled with like a lot of air, to be honest. Like a lot, I, I've definitely beat many, many echoes as long as uh, Narset's not in play. I mean, we're saying that now, not, like fast forward a week, and we're going to see like three copies in the top eight or something. But yeah, it's right. You're right. Right. The deck has built-in vulnerability, and I hope it's not gonna gonna become. I, I guess if it becomes even bigger, we will probably see something happening to it. But it's just like a very scary deck. It's. I think over the last couple of years we've gotten a lot of what I want to call improved versions of Welcher in the format that can either like do the broken stuff, but also play a little bit at least of a longer game than than Belcher traditionally used to do. Yeah, that's very much what it feels like to me. It's like an extremely improved version of Belcher where like Belcher had two lines, which both just required you to make a bunch of mana and one of which was uh, force, force of Will Proof and the other one wasn't, which is like Belcher slash Empty the Warrens. Um, you can't really force empty the warrens, but you can force Belcher. But this deck, like, y- y- it's very hard to pick your forces because they can just play a few artifacts and then play out Emery, and then they get to just start casting all their stuff from their graveyard. But you can, you can like removal. You know, removal's live there where it isn't against Belcher. But at least it like the Emery Echo uh, Urza deck. It gets to play Magic for many many turns while like Belcher doesn't really get to do that. So. Yeah, I guess that that's our thoughts for the for the GP for the meta game. Is there anything you, you want to add, Bob? Um, anything that stuck out to you? Uh, no, that that sounds good to me. I, I did want to switch gears a little bit and talk about. Uh, I, I know you guys already talked a little bit last cast with James about SCG cutting legacy. I do want to kind of come back to that and kind of talk about different things that are kind of happening. So, like in my local community, for instance. Um, there's a, a new tournament series that's starting up by the pit, and they're going to be streaming a lot of their events. I know Jeremy Aronson from Missouri MTG is going is like coming out of retirement to like create a really big tournament in St. Louis again next year. Um, I don't oh, know. Is if- he? Because sorry, sorry for interrupting you, but I was told that he had stopped doing that, and like people were walk, uh, working towards bringing that back. So is that actually coming back? That sounds great. Yeah, he's he's like pretty sure he's going to run it again. He's already been like polling people for like. Uh, you know what kind of format uh, in terms of like prize pool and an entry fee so I'm pretty sure that's going to happen and I didn't go last year but if there's like no SCGs there's a, there's a strong chance I would consider going next year um, and I don't know how much you know about like I know you were telling me that Pioneer uh, which I think we want to talk about too but uh, kind of Pioneer and Legacy were going to be on the same day for the MKMs next year so I guess MKM still supporting Legacy so that's a good thing yeah, they're, they're getting really decent turnouts for Legacy, right? We, if you consider that it's the weekend before the GP where a lot of people don't really want to travel and there was a big tournament in uh, in Italy going on, getting basically 250 people for, for an MKM in Prague is, is really good. Like, I would have expected it to be less and I'm really happy to, to see that kind of support. And yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna remain probably the second biggest main event in, in the next year. It, u- it always used to be the biggest one, then Modern took over. And now... Legacy still is by quite a fair margin their second biggest event of the weekend. Yeah, do you think, like, I think there are, like, two big reasons, I think, that Legacy turnout has kind of gone down. I think one reason is just the fact that the Legacy players have, like, aged, and a lot of them are, you know, having kids and not getting to play as much anymore. And I think the secondary reason is, like, the newer players are, you know, usually in their early 20s, and Legacy cards have gone up so much in the past, you know, five years that it's even harder for those newer, like, early 20s players to get in. Like, I think those are, like, the two factors I see, and obviously it's kind of like the reserve list, but I don't know. I'm curious on your thoughts. 
as to like where legacy goes from here especially like what if there's no legacy gp next year i mean i hope that doesn't happen but like um like like i mentioned a lot of local stores are going to kind of step up but like where do you guys see legacy going if there's no major support I mean, I, I think that it is inevitable that it's going to end up being kind of like uh, vintage based on the, the card prices. But I also, I mean, another factor uh, beyond what you just mentioned, I think a lot of people kind of liked that Legacy didn't change that much that frequently. Like people could play their Canadian Threshold deck or their Miracles deck or their Pox deck or whatever it was. And they could only play in, you know, a local event once every couple of months or like one big event a year, but then like not have to worry about the format changing that much. But I think in the last year, like the format is just changing so drastically and so rapidly that it's it's almost like trying to keep up with the standard format. So I think that's another factor. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, I always also felt like that's people i mean it's a meme for some people to hate on standard because standard is bad yada yada but i think when i say i don't like standard it's not even about about which cards are legal it's it's often about hey i want to play competitive but i feel like standard is changing almost like every other week and then you have to adjust your sideboard and stuff and, and a lot of us we don't really have to, the time to really keep up with that and you also don't want to show up to an event where you feel like oh my deck is like completely out of out of touch with the meta game and that's why it's so nice to to basically step away from legacy for like i don't know a couple of months and then most of the stuff that you know about the format hasn't really changed all that much sometimes there's like a new thing coming in maybe two but now we had like new stuff coming in almost <laughs> I want to say almost every month. Like I don't even know how much how much stuff was released this this year. It just felt like too much, and yeah, I certainly see that. Uh, like even personally in our group, we we had someone who really enjoys playing Chant, and then well they they got Renin Six, and they were like, okay, hey, I can actually play Chant, and that's like, hey, Renin Six is banned, and now they're like. They talked about either quitting Magic for good because that was like so frustrating to them, um, and. There, <laughs> it's interesting. They're actually looking into into playing Pioneer now. So, that's that's something that some people are, are looking into right now, including me, right? And I guess you guys are also. I mean, I mean, no, at least Bob, right? You're also pretty interested in that. Mm -hmm. I think Pioneer might become my main format next year, especially if they don't announce any GPS. Uh, I've been well. I don't know. Okay, so. Two weeks ago, I was really high on Pioneer. I was like, oh, this format's great. It's interactive. There's like not too many combo decks. There's a, there's a couple, but it's not like overwhelming. And like the games are interesting. But then now I've like kind of gotten depressed about the format for the past two weeks. I don't know if you saw the last PTQ results, but it was like 16 mono black aggro decks and yeah. like 10 field of the deck decks. And it's just like, I'm worried about Pioneer um, because it, like R&D has just printed so many design mistakes that I don't know how many cards they need to ban for Pioneer to be a good, good format. Like, I feel like it's always going to be pretty play draw dependent just based on the fact that like the permanents they've printed are so damn good now. So like, it's just really, really important to be on the play. And it's been that way in standard for years. And I'm just worried that Pioneer is just going to be like even more play draw dependent than legacy legacy. I actually like, they've just printed such good tools 
Um, like the printed force of negation, like also obviously force of oil wasteland, and just the answers. I just like I still think the gameplay in Legacy is a lot better than you know Pioneer and Modern. Pioneer, like I said, it's about being on the play. Modern, it's about like finding whatever uninteractive linear strategy people aren't ready for. But Legacy, at its fundamental, is is still just like a fairly interactive format where like yeah, you have some people who are trying to grizzle brand you, or some people who are trying to like chalice you. But usually, if you have your interaction lineup then you're actually better off, so you're rewarded for interacting in Legacy, and I'm just not sure that's going to be true in you know Pioneer or Modern anytime soon. What have you been playing in Pioneer? Did you like try a couple of decks, or is there something you tried to, to uh, work? I tried a few decks. I actually went 6-2 uh, and two in the last uh, mocks, so I'm qualified for like the mocks playoffs, so I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. And I've been playing Simic Stompy, which is basically... Uh, eight land or elves, four once upon a time, so you always have a turn one elf, and then you go turn three, like a broken three drop, like Lovestruck Beast or, or Ronas or Oko, um, and then you just like, you you get off on the front foot, and then you have like Stubborn Denial to like stop whatever they're going to do. So that deck has felt pretty good, but obviously Mono Black and Field of the Dead are um, kind of dominating Pioneer. I just, I just worry about the format because I, I don't know if it'll ever be a balanced format. You just gave me a really good idea for Legacy. What's remember, that? Remember Bant, Bant Stoneblade with the uh, Deathrite Shamans and the Noble Hierarchs? And how uh, having a Mana Dark was like the most important thing? Why don't we just uh, play it once upon a time and Bant Stoneblade? Then we don't need Deathrite Shaman. Well, the problem with that is I think you really need eight Mana Dorks and four Once Upon a Times. So what are you going to play for your eight Mana Dorks? You can play four Noble Hierarchs. What else are you going to play? Gilded Goose. <laughs> the, that is probably the second best one um no honestly look i actually i would believe you now if you just told me that was a deck is that like eight mana dorks four at a time four okos uh true, true and then like think? true name yeah true name makes sense to me um uh, maybe a teferi time raveler um no that sounds that sounds pretty good to me already <laughs> it's gonna be great we're gonna call it the everyday eternal actually that's a really bad name for a legacy deck <laughs> I don't like some American serials that, that are not yet taken by any of the combo deck names. Actually, we're not a combo deck in the first place. Okay, I'm bad at naming decks. I'm going to stick to Elves and Maverick. <laughs> no, I, that actually is a, is a pretty good legacy deck idea. It's worth exploring yeah. more. Gilded Goose is like, if you can make the... Um, if you can make more food tokens via Oko... Uh, like it actually, you know, it, gaining three life a turn or making a food every turn is like not horrible for your mana dork in the late game. Yeah. I'm gonna try it. Sounds great. The problem is, is I think True Name isn't as good as a threat as it used to be. So, like, if your payoff is Oko is great, but you can't once upon a time for it. And True Name, I think, isn't quite as powerful as it was in the Deathrite Shaman meta. Uh, Death, I mean, like True Name plus Gta or whatever it was just like great in Deathrite Shaman meta. But now it's like True Name is. I mean, people are mostly cutting True Names out of the deck completely. That card is just not that great. So you could play like. You, if you played Black, you play Lee of Old. You could play like your own Plague Engineers. Uh, trying to think of like what the best three drops in Legacy are, but yeah, I mean, I you guess Plague Engineer kind of gives you some great Glasspinner, and when they try to Oko it, you draw a card. Uh, uh, no, actually, you don't. It gets countered. But yeah, that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> you could play Knight. I don't know. You could yeah. play Knight. Yeah. You could play Elvish Reclaimer as well if you're going down that route. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. a yeah, like a, the Knight of the Reliquary land package, but with with reclaimer. Nobody's found a deck. Nobody's found a shelf for that yet. 
I mean, people have tried like a couple of them in Delver shells and things like that, but nobody's really found a use for for Elvish Reclaimers, like a solid Knight of the Reliquary on turn one. Yeah, I think in Delver, like, Tarmogoyf's just going to be better than Elvish Reclaimer most of the time. Like, you just don't have the space to play the utility lands, and Tarmogoyf is just, like, a bigger threat. Yeah, I think people experimented with it in the old rock Delver lists, where it sometimes used to go in place of Hexdrinker and stuff. But yeah, I guess that, that, that's gone. Uh, the only other application for the card I see is when people were trying it in green, white, uh, dark depth, which like dark depth slash maverick, uh, which has worked decently. I actually could see that deck doing well-ish, um, but I haven't really played too much with it. I, I've only played against it and it seemed solid. Yeah, um, going kind of back to the topic of, of Pioneer, like, do you guys see yourselves playing this format a lot going forward? Uh, yes, uh, but I agree. I would want to see how it shakes out. Like, I don't really want to get a deck. Like, for example, Mono Black Aggro was interesting me quite a bit because I just, like, I like these aggro slash midrange approaches. And I also have some cards for it. And I, I don't know, the, the deck speaks to me, even though I'm probably, like, I, I like green and actually green decks a lot more. But yeah, um, but for now, I'm... Not sure what what vision actually Wizards has for the format. Uh, for example, when they when they created Modern, they clearly said this is a format where you cannot kill before the fourth turn. I guess we all know how that worked out. But um, I feel if Wizards could make it clear what they are trying to do with the format, that would be good. Like they they banned some stuff, for example. Well, mostly stuff out of the mono green deck because it was just so busted. And I think that that's probably an episode for itself. But I always feel. Like, formats are good when there's a deck that sets an upper limit to what you can do. Uh, for Legacy, usually that's Delver. Delver tells you, okay, if you play a 4-drop, it has to win you the game. You cannot, like, play a casual 4-drop and, and be, like, dirty with it. And and stuff like that, right? And, and your 3-drops have to be really, really good. And I feel like when stuff like that happens, you don't need to ban a lot of cards. I think you would, if, if you had something like that, that interacted with like the broken stuff in a way that either counters discards or something, probably counters the big payoff spells, then a lot of decks are going to be left with a bunch of like one ones uh, that produce mana and that's it. Uh, basically the way it works in Legacy, right? Just in Legacy, we have this thing in Elves that, that those one ones actually still have some synergies, whereas in I think Pioneer, they don't have too many. Um, but yeah, I feel like Pioneer... And I could be very wrong about it. Like I only thought about it, like last couple of weeks. Pioneer could be really good if it if it had a blue tempo based deck that really caps and defines what you are able to do in the format, and then you build the format around that. That defines which combo decks um, are playable. That in turn defines which anti combo mechanisms you gotta employ in your decks. And yeah, also to a certain degree, I guess you you must be able to hate on lands, even though, especially during the last decade, that hasn't been really a very popular thing. Like, I, I mean, we, we we went from having literal stone rain and wasteland and in, in magic to, to having like a five color, five mana spell that makes your opponent sacrifice a land or something. So I'm having a hard time seeing that happening. And it's, it's, I guess it's part of the tempo strategy. I just feel like as much as can be frustrating playing against something like Delva with Days and Wasteland, in the long run, it's a force of good to to the format it's legal in, and you can argue about like to which degree. For example, a lot of people, um, me included, feel like Delva was always a little bit too pushed, 
because it, it was an important piece in, in making legacy well a little bit faster than it used to be before it came around but that, that's like minor minor adjustments but the general idea of there being a tempo deck that defines everything around it that i feel could be really good for pioneer and i think they don't really have that i guess they have mono black aggro and then that's it that, but that's more like a tap out control oh not control tap out aggro deck to me one of the most important things about uh, a format is it has to be like diverse especially if it's like uh, a non-rotating format like you know modern and legacy are, are pretty diverse um but obviously modern has its own issues but pioneer like it hasn't shown the ability to be diverse yet because the best thing you do is just going to be like the best thing there aren't like i don't know i think people are going to find ways to attack field of the dead and attack mono black aggro and you know maybe they'll ban some more cards but uh i guess my main worry is that like it could be a format where it's always like okay you can do like three or four things and then the other things are just like going to be a lot worse than it so we'll see maybe they can ban enough cards that it won't be the case but um that's that's basically my worry for pioneer my vision for a good pioneer would be like the first week of pioneer where everybody was playing like interactive decks that like uh you know were like reasonable against each other before people figured out that like mono green was broken so you know if we can get back to like that then i think pioneer could be a really good format but uh i guess we will have to see and i i've uh kind of like julian been kind of waiting for people to shake out the format and also just wanting to focus on this gp and then i'm planning to uh head into pioneer you know with a little bit of the metagame being figured out a little bit and hopefully the format being in a decent spot that's my hope for when i start playing pioneer but i do plan to do that and i am a little bit excited about um the potential for the future of competitive magic with the the new changes to like uh your GP results being able to like compile on top of each other to help you qualify for the pro tour and things like that. So, um, but, uh, you know, legacy, although legacy is definitely by far my favorite as far as play style and, and the games go. Um, I think in order to, for competitive magic for me, I'll have to branch out a little bit and hopefully, uh, there will still be some, some GPs and legacy and reasons for me to, to play as much legacy as I'd like to, but I also want to branch out a little bit. Yeah, I think there's there's still going to be like good tournaments around. And I mean, there, there has to, right? If, there, if there's not, there's nothing we can change too much about it because you can organize all the tournaments you want if people aren't attending it. Uh, that's that's something you can't do too much about it. But I'm, I'm feeling I'm... Get, I will be getting my legacy fix anyway. Actually, when I was in Prague, uh, my friend was telling me that they are actually working on on getting another big legacy tournament in Prague, which is actually kind of funny because Bob, you mentioned right how everybody is like create uh, making uh, having children. That's <laughs> creating children, uh, having children these days, and they don't really c- have time to travel that much. And that, that's actually something that has been happening a lot in my local scene. And so my friend was telling me that they're actually having a tournament next year. Most likely they're still working on it in Prague where people can bring their own children and their partners who might, might not be playing magic. And then they can, can have a barbecue there and they're organizing basically like, I don't even know how to call it. I, I think they haven't picked a name yet, but a family hangout where you can play magic. Oh my God, I, I that's like, brilliant. Okay, I love that. Yeah, I was wondering whether I could attend even if I didn't have children that I know about. <laughs> they were like, oh yeah, sure, sure. Um, I, I hope that that's... You have to I'm find children sure. to bring to the tournament. <laughs> that's that's way too creepy. <laughs> 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 hey, 
hey, hey, child, Sorry, you, if you come with me, I will give you a tropical island after the event. <laughs> okay, that's okay. That's okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely uh, way okay. too creepy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. Um, I think something, Bob, you mentioned that you want to talk about is, is the esports aspect of, of CFB and SCG's late decision um, about cutting some people from, from their writer's roster. Oh, yeah. So uh, I know Channel Fireball cut PV. And they're cutting some more people as well. I don't even know if I'm going to continue writing for them. It, it depends a little bit on budget. Uh, so CFB has started to move towards you know more esports-related articles. And I'm interested to see what that really means. I guess we'll find out soon. Uh, SCG has also done similar things. They cut uh, Tom Ross, who's been kind of really upset about it on Twitter, as well as um, Kevin Jones, uh, who's a friend of mine. So it, it seems like these big, you know, magic companies are, are making moves towards what they think is like a better way to spend their money. And I'm kind of interested to see, to see where it goes. I know people are kind of expressing frustration, like Tom especially was ex expressing frustration on Twitter because he, he felt like he wasn't given a chance, kind of. They just told him, oh, like, your numbers aren't that great, so therefore we're cutting you. So I can kind of see it from both sides, obviously. Like, as the writer, you're, like, a little bit disappointed because um, it's kind of abrupt. But then on on the other side, it's, like, it's still a business. It's how capitalism works. Um for better or for worse, you can't just always expect to have a job. So I don't know. Do you guys have thoughts? Yeah, I think the the thing that Tom was especially um, sad about was how abrupt it was. Right, you didn't really get any any notice, or, or people were trying to help him get better numbers, which I guess in the end is is his thing to worry about. But I can see how it would be. You would be very disappointed if something happened like this to you out of the blue. On the other hand, like you mentioned, right, you. If you're if you're running SCG and you feel like okay I, I can't spend this money in a, in a better way and probably should, then eventually you definitely go for it. So I think Tom can't really or probably isn't even sad about being cut in the first place and more about the way he was cut from it. And I can I, like I can totally understand that. Uh, but in the end, it's probably going to be a thing. Hopefully, um, he mentioned how how he's like in a really bad spot in life right now. That that will go away. And I mean, he's still like one of the best players actually that, okay let's not get into that there was like a discussion on on whether tom ross is, is a tier one player when he was winning all those all those SEGs, and then there was like some actual pro tour pro and he was like well tom ross isn't even a tier three player but yeah that's that was like many years ago that's just popped up in my head um i think it's that's just a temporary episode um it's more like is SCG actually also going to commit to more esports content? Because honestly, like for the great events they run, their website is like trash. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they like revamped their website and half the links don't work anymore. Um, but hopefully that'll get fixed. <laughs> we'll see. I don't know if they're also like pursuing the esports angle. I know they're trying to make it like they said they're trying to make everything more mobile friendly. Like they're basically trying to, you know, upgrade and, and like, uh, you know, move towards what's like currently being done. But uh, obviously there will be some growing pains, but I don't know. I mean, I'm definitely upset that they cut Legacy. I was hoping that they would, like, maybe keep it for half of the team tournaments or maybe have, like, one open a year. But cutting it completely just seems, like, unnecessary because um, I, think, I think the numbers were, like, comparable to... They were be much better than Standard, and they were, like, you know, they weren't that much worse than Modern or whatever. So, I don't know. I still ha have issue with them cutting Legacy completely, but... 
We'll see. I mean, Magic's definitely changing. I think as a whole, the pie is getting bigger. Like, we see companies like Twitch running tournaments now and, like, Red Bull coming and doing tournaments. So, like, I'm super stoked about that. I'm a little bit sad that it's all been, like, arena so far, but I guess, quote-unquote, esports is what people care about. But, um, you know, maybe once they have, like, Pioneer on Arena, I'll, I'll be more interested in it. But uh, I don't know. I think the pie is getting bigger, and maybe that means that down the line things will be better for any, like, competitive Magic player as long as you're willing to branch out. So we'll see. Yeah, those Red Bull guys are really, they're smart, you know. They actually had this big tournament in Italy, in, in Florence, actually, in the summer. And you, you had to apply for that tournament. You had to be a streamer or a content creator, and you had to have these and these numbers. And I think, as it turns out, they pretty much accepted anyone who wanted to play in the tournament. It just it felt like a more more prestigious thing. It's like, oh, my God, I was actually accepted into the tournament. I got to go now. And <laughs> But, yeah, it's I agree, like, companies like red bull or even like i think it's called twitch rivals right they are putting especially twitch rivals so much money into into magic right now these, these tournaments that they're having that's like multi thousands of dollars maybe i, I don't want to like quote wrong numbers we probably gotta look it up at some point but that that's when i saw how much people were winning in these twitch rival events i was blown away because that's like well beyond what what you would win cheapies and stuff i feel so yeah excited for that Something else? I guess we probably don't want to discuss it too much, but something something to make people aware of. Um, if you have trample damage, uh, better announce it. Uh, I guess there was a situation on the weekend where where somebody attacked with um, a reality smasher and it was blocked by a gilded goose and the reality smasher was attacking um, Oko, a planeswalker. And they put the Gilded Goose in the graveyard and the attacking player never announced how, how they are actually distributing damage. And for those who are wondering what the fuck is going on, when you have trample damage, you actually can, if you really wanted to, put your entire trample damage on a blocking creature, even if it's just a 0-1 or in Gilded Goose case a 0-2, and not assign any damage to, to the Planeswalker or the, the defending player if it was attacked. And yeah, I, I thought it was like ruled incorrectly because the, the ruling on the floor, <laughs> I guess they got it, was that, yeah, the tremble damage was quote unquote missed and that Oko didn't take any damage. And I thought it was like entirely wrong because it felt feels wrong. But I talked to a couple of judges and they, they agreed that if both players don't communicate about the tremble damage, then the, the policy is if there's a legal play that makes the entire scenario legal, then they won't like rewind or do anything, but they will assume that the legal play was made, which in this case was five damage to the blocking creature, even though it only has two toughness. And why that feels so wrong is because I think a lot of people, they don't really think of trample damage as a choice. They think about it as an automatic thing that, that just happens, right? That's automatically applied, like, okay, I need lethal damage to the blocker, and then the rest goes on top to either the player or the planeswalker. And that's why it feels so wrong. And because there's, like, this potential fix of assuming the legal play was made, um, yeah, that's that's how it works. But yeah, I talked talked to a local judge of mine. I think he's actually level two or, or three. Like, he's, I think, <laughs> I hope I'm not saying something wrong, but I think he's quite influential, and he said he's actually going to raise that issue with, like, other judges at GP and, and the corresponding people in place to at least review and look into how that is handled because i feel like i really want want it to be that tremble damage is assumed if no, both players don't communicate that only lethal damage is applied to the creature and the rest to planeswalker or players but, but what about if if somebody's blocking with like 
two uh what's the eldrazi card it's a three two and if it dies they get to like draw a card basically or yeah um yeah i know which one you mean yeah yeah so what if they put two in front you know and then you're trample and you just wouldn't you rather just kill one and then they only get to draw one yeah but you so can what always, if they just start like, drawing two uh well that, that's where communication comes in right then if you you actively say okay i'm gonna put five damage on this one and zero on the other one so you're, you're just saying that if there's only if there's only like an x1 in front and then the person and then the rest of the damage would go to the to the player then they, that should just be assumed I think if both players don't communicate, which is the big thing to me, right? If both players don't communicate, that's already a pro- problem in the first place. And in that situation, I think the most intuitive thing that makes the least people happy or sad or angry should be applied. And I, t- I just feel like, I mean, the, the, the counter argument against that that was raised to me was that while if you... If that's assumed, if both players don't communicate and somebody attacks you with a reality smash and you block with Lana waves and you don't take four damage, then you will receive a warning. And that's a feel bad because it's an ability your opponent has, your opponent's card has, which is trample. And I see that that can be a feel bad, but I think the other situation that was happening there is a much bigger feel bad. And I think that would alienate a lot of people from the game. Like, I'm I, just like looking at my local LGS and there's so many, like, I would actually argue especially at my LGS, which like has people that go to GPs and stuff, I'd be surprised if more than like 50% knew that trample damage can actually be assigned manually and would create a pretty big feel bad for them if, if they ran into that situation. Some would even like be really turned off. Whereas if you received a warning because you didn't take damage of your opponent's trample creature, I think that's much more stomachable. That's much more like, you know, you can be okay with that because the other thing is so unintuitive. Well, should I mean, it just be a simple... Sorry, shouldn't it just be as simple as when they go to write down the, the damage on their life pad, that like if we're writing down different numbers, like, oh, well, I'm obviously dealing trample damage. You can't just assume I'm not. I mean, an Ilko, Ilko, like, you have to move the die, and I guess they didn't move the die. I mean, it's also worth noting on Magic Online, they actually default is completely different. The default is you trample over. So, like, if you're not going to be consistent, then that's just like even worse for the players. So if I had to guess, they're going to change the rule and like fix the default trample setting. But to Julian's point, you know, better communication is needed. Um, overall, my take on this host situation is an angle shooting in general. <laughs> As someone who has been basically uh, <laughs> crucified for angle shooting, let me just tell you, it's not really worth it. Um, obviously I had the whole pithing needle incident. Um, this was like four years ago now where my opponent, uh, needled Borborygmos instead of Borborygmos enraged. And so then like I saw the judge, like talk to the other judge and I was like, judge, did he name the wrong one? And the judge was like, yeah, you can activate Borborygmos. And I was like, okay, sure. I'll do it. And then once that happened, like, apparently everybody was like, oh my god, he's the worst angle shooter ever. And I was like, okay. Like, I definitely had some people come to my defense. But overall, it just leaves a bad feeling in a lot of the community's mouth. And to me, like, um, I understand that now. It just, like, even if the rule is, like, what it says it is, if it just feels unfair, people just don't like that. People just react negatively towards it. So I think you can 
have two choices. You can either own it and be like, I don't care what people think of me. I'm going to, you know, do whatever it takes to win. Or you can be like, well, I guess this is actually a more fair way to deal with things. And I'm going to try and play in a way that I feel like I would want to play against. So, I mean, I've chosen kind of the second one. I'm like never going to angle shoot anymore because I realize how not worth it it is. I think uh, my friend Zayn is also kind of learning this lesson of like how much people kind of hate on you if you make plays like that. So, I mean, I think it's overall for the better. Like everybody's kind of has their own way of learning this lesson, I think. Yeah, yeah, good points. Um, I think... One thing that in an ideal world, I wouldn't want like social pressure to be the defining factor that that determines whether somebody goes for angle shooting or not. I, I'd really like love for policies to be in place or rules that prevent that in the first place, which isn't always possible, right? But I think in this scenario, by implementing the thing where default damage is applied, like on matching online, I think you you could actually like work around having to to need that social pressure to not do that in the first place. So. Let's see what comes of that. Um, I think we are gonna wrap it up here, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna get the the podcast out tonight, and then we're gonna see um, how things are gonna work out. Cheap here, uh, Eric. I guess I'm gonna see you tomorrow. We're gonna we're gonna hit that that pizza place that Caleb organized for us. It's actually gonna be a really big event. I think that's gonna be like almost 20 people or something. That's what I hear. Awesome. I'm jealous. <laughs> Next year I might come to the Euro GP. Uh, um, hopefully it works out if there is one. <laughs> That'd be amazing, be cool. right? That would be really cool. Awesome. So yeah, that's that's gonna be it. Um, I want to give shoutouts to everyone supporting us on Patreon. So if you want to support the cast and basically make this show run, uh, you can head to Patreon.com/slash/itsstudent. No, actually that's the wrong one. <laughs> you can head to Patreon.com/slash/everydayjournal and become a subscriber for our podcast. And if you see us at Uh, at the GP, if you see Eric or me, just hit us up, and we are also going to have some Everyday Eternal and Legacy Premier League stickers. I also want to give shoutouts to our Eternal Witness supporters, Matt and James, as well as our Grizzle Brand supporters, Bachu, Scott, Kurosh, and Jeremy. All of you have been supporting us for a really long time. I think some of you already received the stickers that I sent out. I'm actually going to send out a new batch of stickers very soon. Uh, that also is going to include the Legacy Premier League stickers. So thanks a lot for making the podcast work. Uh, thanks a lot for listening today. Let us know how you liked it. Uh, we were told that it helps out a lot with search engine optimization and rankings. If like if you like the podcast, leave a review on iTunes. At least that's what the cool kids do. And yeah, so I think that's going to be it. And we're going to see you again to learn how things worked out for us at Chippy. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.